Hey, welcome back to the podcast, and I am super excited about this episode. Of course, I think I say that about all of the episodes, but today uh, I am interviewing Dr. Carla Sundberg, who is the 43rd General Superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene, and we have good conversation today about having a missional mindset. Um, Dr. Sundberg she and her husband were some of the first missionaries into Russia when the Iron Curtain fell. And so we talk about that unique perspective um, and what it was like to uh, minister to a country who had been taught, um, who'd really been shut out of spiritual things for 70 years. Uh, only 1% of the population were Christians. Uh, and so then, and then we talk a little bit about the Wesleyan Holiness uh, Women Clergy Conference that's coming up. Uh, and then I ask her, uh, I think it's an important question right at the beginning. So pay attention to that question and what she has to say, especially if you're in the process to be ordained uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, anyway, I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I want you to just pay attention to it. So lots of good stuff. I'm going to put in the show notes information about the conference that's coming up. It is March of 2022, but they have just opened registration and I want to get as many people involved as I can, as many women attending this conference. And there's an early bird registration that lasts now through like, I think October 1st or 2nd, something like that. So this is a great time for you to get on that website, check it out, see if you can get some women to go with you. It's pretty inexpensive actually to fly into Dallas. And so, you know, you can share a room. The good thing is there's that if you fly into Dallas, there's actually a shuttle that takes you to the conference hotel. So you don't even have to rent a, a car or anything. So that saves you a little bit. Of course, if you're in Dallas, uh, I guess you don't have to get a plane ticket. Or if you're close to Dallas, you don't have to get a plane ticket. But I'm coming from Detroit, so not going to drive. We'll definitely be flying. Uh, I'm already signed up. The podcast is signed up to be at this conference next year. And the theme of the conference is her story. I know, right? So, I mean, how could I not go to this conference? Anyway, looking forward to seeing you and meeting some of you there that some of you I don't know who are listeners some of you I do know and so it would still be great to see you there um, and I'm looking forward to this episode so uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on it I have a couple other guests lined up that are coming on the podcast I'm excited about uh, including Reverend Rose Brower Young who is a district superintendent in Canada so she's coming on the podcast soon. Uh, we scheduled her. You're going to have to wait a few weeks, though, before that happens, because, you know, we're a little busy. Easter is coming up. So anyway, enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different?
welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. You, you start even earlier than I do. <laughs> I know you're behind an hour behind us. Yeah, it kind of depends on where I am in the world even. So we, we can do things at all odd hours. You never know. Yeah. Well, yeah, this has actually been great for me because I thought, man, there's all these people I want to have on the podcast and how am I going to, you know, get to Kansas City or or Canada or wherever, but you know, whatever. Now Zoom has opened up the world. So there you go. That's great. You were elected 43rd general superintendent, right? 2017. That went fast. Maybe not, maybe not for you. Well, it has gone fast. You know, this should have been a general assembly year. So this would have been year four and time for a reelection and all that. And we're not doing that. And I was thinking about this this morning have you been, you haven't been able to travel or have you been able to travel at all? <clears throat> have I been able to travel at all? Yeah. In these last 13 months. Very little, very little within the United States, a little bit. Pretty much. Yeah. So, but nothing outside the U.S. So this is what I was thinking, because we just got done doing board of ministry interviews for ordination last week. Mm-hmm. Um, what are other countries doing? Is they, are they just completely suspended right now? For district assemblies? Um, well, so, you know, we had this option of, you know, having a canceled district assembly, which most everybody has done, and then for the business to be done by the district advisory committee. So in my regard, um, what I've been doing has been doing many, uh, I've been doing these district advisory committee meetings. Most of the places that I, I am with on Mesoamerica region have wanted me to come and to chair those. So we're doing them over Zoom. So I often have two of those a day. Um, now, what we cannot do is do the ordinations. Um, but, you know, most of the world doesn't have, don't have, we don't do ordinations every year in most parts of the world because a general superintendent can't get there every year. So it's common that you wait until a general superintendent come. Now, that has not been the case in the U.S. The U.S. was used to, oh, every year somebody would come and do that. So actually, right now, the U.S. is just kind of experiencing what the rest of the world does all the time. But, you know, we're trying to um, look at ways of how we catch up. So, for example, um, I'm going to Puerto Rico a week from Monday. Um, Puerto Rico is on the Mesoamerica region, but it's actually U.S. territory. Um, so it's not leaving the U.S. So I can go to, um, to Puerto Rico and, uh, we'll do, and we'll do two canceled assemblies. So I'll meet with the district advisory committees and then we will have a combined ordination service for the two districts. So what we're doing is when we do those, it's just the ordinance and maybe one or two of their family members. So it's a very small group, kind of an intimate group that we do the ordination with. I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad that you shared that because that is something that has, I think it's really bothered me this last year of, I, I suspected that, well, I knew that they, we weren't going anywhere. All, you know, all the borders are shut down. Um, and, and that a lot of them had to wait several years or maybe a couple of years. So if you're ready for ordination, it didn't matter if you could answer all the questions perfectly or if you had all of your education done and all of your experience. If you didn't have a general superintendent come to your district that year, then you were going to have to wait until the next year to be ordained, um, which, of course, is fun because you get to see 20 people or 25 or however many be ordained at one time, but really kind of have to. I think we need to check our spirit here in the States and you can, you don't have to agree or disagree. I'll take, I'll say, I'll just step up and say that to uh, my fellow constituents here in the U S of 
um, you know, sometimes we need to take a step back and realize um, we've been given a lot. We have, we, we need to be a little more grateful for all of the opportunities that we have. And, um, you know, if you don't get to do it this year, you get to do it next year. And, and maybe we, maybe we rush the process a little bit too much here in the U.S. And if we slow down a little bit, take, take a deep breath every once in a while. Anyway, it just struck me. I know that pastors are quitting in record numbers right now. And so maybe we just, um, maybe if we slowed down and took a breath, um, they would hang in there a little longer. So that's my two cents, but. <laughs> and, you know, there's so many reasons why things get, you know, changed or whatever. Um, you know, in Haiti, which I have Haiti, they haven't had a district assembly since 2018, I think. Wow. Had, um, well, 2019, the political unrest was too great to have somebody go. 2020, it was also because of the political unrest because it was pre-pandemic. It was January. We couldn't go in January. So we're on year three of canceled assemblies. Well, and they've not had a general superintendent at all. And the political unrest is really difficult. So what we have done now because of Zoom though is starting in the next couple of weeks, I will do three mini DAC meetings a day. Um, what they're gonna do is they're gonna drive from wherever they are in Haiti, the district advisory committee to Port-au-Prince to our seminary property, which is a secure location with internet. And so the DACs are coming there so that we can then Zoom together and have the, these business meetings because they haven't even really been able to do, uh, they've done them, them themselves, but at least this is sort of like a step towards something of, of what they would like to have, you know, moving forward. Lots of challenges in our world. Yeah. And you made that comment about the political unrest. So, I mean, obviously that's not just in Haiti, there's other places around the world. What do you, what do you do about the creative access places? We're creative. You're creative. All right. <laughs> I just want to make sure they're not left out. Left out. That was just my concern. Well, they're not left out, but um, there are some creative ways that happens. Yeah, you're gonna take all and kinds. That's of all secrets. I'm gonna say about that. Yeah, you're gonna take all <laughs> kinds of secrets to the grave, and those are okay. You're supposed to have some secrets. There are some secrets we're supposed to keep, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's really awesome. I want to. Can I go? I want to go back in time a little bit, and then we'll, then we'll come forward. But I know you you. And your husband were missionaries in Russia, right? Mm -hmm. How long were you there? Thirteen years. Okay, so I have a question. How, so how? First of all, how did that come about? How did the Lord lead you guys there, and why? And why? Just, you just talk about that. Well, it was never our intention. Um, my husband and I, we were married. Um, we were serving the Lord in Austin, Texas, and having a great time in ministry there. Our two little girls were born there, and we had a really wonderful growing church, wonderful ministry. And um, we had traveled um, one week to from Austin up to Fort Worth for, uh, this was in October of 1991, and it was for an evangelism conference, which was a precursor to the M conferences. And so we were all excited about being there, but that so much had happened in that church that the church was actually that week buying a new parsonage for us to move into. I mean, the church had just grown. They wanted to, they were so sweet. They were trying to do nice things for us and everything. And I don't know if you know much of what happened in 1991, but in um, August of 1991, there was the attempted coup in the Soviet Union and they tried to overthrow Mikhail Gorbachev. Now, 
part of what had been happening ever since the Berlin Wall had come down. So by now, this is a couple years into that. Little by little, uh, the communist blocks of Eastern Europe are falling. And, and it, it's beginning to reach further east, further east, further east. So finally, you've come to the Soviet Union. And this attempted coup under Gorbachev, he had opened uh, the country up much more to the West. Um, they, they needed the West uh, economically and everything. There needed to be these relationships. So we go to this evangelism conference. And before the service on the last night, the head of world mission had asked if he could meet with Chuck and me out in the foyer. Now, we didn't hardly know this man, Dr. Bob Scott, great man. Um, and we thought, what in the world does he want to talk to us about? So we're out there in the foyer about 15 minutes before the service. And he just begins telling us about how I just came back from this incredible trip. He said, I got to go to Russia. I went to Ukraine. I went to Albania. And like he's telling us all these details. And I know Chuck and I are glancing at each other going, well, that's interesting. Why, why is he telling us this? We don't really know the man. And he's telling us all about this stuff. So he comes to the end of the conversation and he says, so here's the deal. He said, nobody really thought that the Iron Curtain was gonna come down. Nobody ever thought we would be able to send missionaries into the Soviet Union. He said, we don't really have anybody prepared. Nobody's been to language school. He said, um, and we don't ever usually do it this way. You know, usually people apply to be missionaries. He said, but he said, I've been praying for more than a month about who ought to move and go to Russia. And he said, last night, my wife and I sat behind you during the worship service. And I just felt like God said, that's who's supposed to move to Russia. And he said, so um, would you take a month and pray about whether you might be willing to move to, it was still the Soviet Union, to the Soviet Union. And then the man walks off and leaves us. It's like, what? So um, that night, my husband and I, we didn't go right into the service. We began walking the streets of Fort Worth. And I literally, we were sobbing. We were just sobbing not out of fear or anything like that. It was, it, actually there was this overwhelming sense that we both pretty much immediately knew that's what God would want us to do. Um, and it was just, we were overcome by that. God did a lot of things to put a lot of pieces together in that month. You know, bless the dear church. I mean, they were closing on the new parsonage like that day. We went back and we lived in that parsonage a month before we sold all of our stuff and packed up and moved to Russia. So um, it's been quite a journey with the Lord, and but the Lord made it abundantly clear. And I would say this, don't ever do anything like that unless God really tells you to do it because it's really, really hard. Right. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that part uh, about. Yeah, I just figured, oh, whatever. You're praying <laughs> one day and God's like, you should go to Russia. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's true, right? Whenever. Uh, whenever God asks us to make major moves, he he's usually he's usually pretty obvious about it. So you were there 13 years. We have missionaries all over the world, but I mean, you guys were going into a country that had been I'm a communist. How I mean, how long was that? They were USSR. I, it was I mean, 70 years, and 70, 70 years. years they'd been a communist nation and an atheistic nation. So they had tolerated tiny bits of Christianity. There was a shell of the Orthodox Church left. There was um, a shell of the Baptist Church yet left. And you have to know, what they did is they created the Evangelical Union of Christians Baptist, which was 
you were either Orthodox or you were Baptist. In other words, anything that was leftover Protestant was lumped into the Evangelical Christian Union Baptist. And that was so the government could oversee and provide, you know, know who was who. Um, and then, then there was the underground church and there was a bit of the underground church as well. But let me just say out of the whole population, um, by the time we got there, there was probably about 1% that would have been believers. It was very, very small at that point in time. And not yeah. that it's that much bigger now, um, but it has grown some. Yeah, one percent is pretty small. You, I imagine you have to you have to do ministry completely differently. Yeah, <laughs> but when you start and you have absolutely nothing, that's you know kind of how do you start and 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 what do you do with all that? And God was just really gracious. I'll I'll tell you this: we learned our about dependence upon God in ways that we had never had to really depend upon God before. Um, there's so much that you cannot accomplish in your own power. But when you really trust in God, it's amazing how the Lord puts the right people in your path or the right people, you know, that, that become a part of who you are and they're able to open certain doors or do certain things. And you just, you just have to have that complete and total dependence upon God and then watch God just kind of unfold all of that. We, um, when we first went, our regional director was Dr. Franklin Cook, who was a great missiologist and he kind of sat us down and, um, you know, because you might say, why 13 years? Well, part of it was that he sat us down at the beginning and he said, I'm not sure the door's going to stay open over here all that long. And he said, um, he said, I just want us to take a, a cue from what happened in Cuba. He said in Cuba, they had never really anticipated that they would have to leave when they did years ago. Um, and he said, what happened was the day that the missionaries left, they left a manual and the keys to the properties on the kitchen table and had to leave the country. And he said, so I want you to imagine that you are being given 10 years. And if you're being given 10 years, what would you establish so that when you leave, you have created the foundation that this place will be able to grow on its own. So that might be a different way of kind of thinking about it. So what we really looked at was the investment in people and leaders. And, um, you know, it actually took 10 years to go from somebody becoming a new believer to being discipled, to being called to preach, to studying the course of study um, before we had our first ordinance. It took 10 years. And, uh, and that's when you think about it. I mean, we're talking about from an atheist to being a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. That takes a, a bit of time. Yeah. Um, but we really that was really where we began to really invest um, and in our um, theological education program. And at one point we had 250 people then in the education program studying in six places all over the former Soviet Union. Um, so like I said, really investing in people, um, investing in what would be the, the kind of the infrastructure to help them, um, help to give resources and tools. There's a, you have to be really, really careful that you don't do the ministry stuff all yourself, because right. you, you have to constantly be thinking, I'm not here, how will they manage this? So you really have a mindset of not building it upon yourself, but building it upon other people. And then you just kind of, almost every year, there was something that you were turning over to somebody else and then stepping back, and then you would do something, then you kind of step back. So it, it's a different way of doing it. And so when I came back to the States, it was really 
weird for me. We came back to a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, lovely church, beautiful church, um, and great, great people. But, you know, I was still in this mindset of I'm just training other people to do this stuff. And then I, I'll, I'll turn it over. And, and I do have to say that the American church kind of doesn't operate that way. Um, it's more of, you know, well, we hired you to be the pastor. So we expect you to do certain things. And I was ready to just keep training and handing off training and handing off. Right. But that is so powerful. I mean, when you were telling that the story about how you were doing it with, you're going to have 10 years and then you're, and then you're out, how, how we really need to make that shift. Like I, I think probably more than ever I've, I've seen in the last year, we have to shift that mentality. That's how we have to be um, because we, we have to be planning churches faster and faster. Um, I mean, just to keep up for the, with the ones that are closing, but, but also because you need to get on the ground in a more organic way to really reach, you know, the atheist, the agnostic, the unchurched person, even our de-churched people, you know, people we would call de-churched, there, there's some sense that that group is shrinking in one way um, because the unchurched uh, population is, is on the rise. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was unchurched. I mean, I was raised unchurched and I was the, I was the norm in my, like when I, in high school, when I was growing up, I was the norm. My, my friends right. who went to church were the, the anomaly, you know? And so, and so we're seeing that exponentially grow and we need to begin taking on that kind of a perspective that we have. We have to realize we are missionaries here mm-hmm. um, and start uh, thinking like missionaries and planning our churches and, and um, pastoring them like we're missionaries. So, and so you just came back because what the, the thing tide shifted. How, what was it that said, okay, we finished what God has called us to do. And now it's time to move on. Cause I think that is difficult for some people to discern when have I done what God has called me to do. And, and now I'm going on to whatever it is he's called me to do next. I think that there's a tendency to overstay, not discern well when it's time to leave. So we talk about that. How did, how did you do that? Well, Again, I, there has really not been anything in our lives that the Lord has not really directly directed. But as I mentioned, every year, every year, everything was kind of changing and becoming different. And so here we are heading into, we're past year 10, right? And, and so there's a little bit of this question of, okay, how, how long does the Lord want us to stay? Because if you kind of had that in mind, so Chuck and I, um, we were feeling like, okay, Lord, we really need to discern what is the emphasis supposed to be for this coming year, right? I mean, because we're going in, we're past 10 here. So where, where, does, where does this go? And it was in November of 2004, the, um, it was interesting. We'd gotten an email out of the blue from Dr. Bob Scott again, the guy that had sent us, he was no longer over, he was retired now. And he, he sent us this note and he just sent us this really sweet note. And he told us about how he was praying for us. And he said, you know, my wife and I were having devotions right now. Um, and we're specifically studying um, uh, Isaiah, and I, I don't remember what he said, but Chuck and I said, you know, what if we take the month of November, and let's really pray and seek the Lord, give us guidance about what what's next year's fo- focus supposed to be, and said, you know, Dr. Scott's been influential in our life, they're studying Isaiah, why don't we 
every morning after the kids go to school, let's sit down, let's read from Isaiah together and pray together and make this really intentional about, Lord, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Well, fascinatingly, um, where we landed in Isaiah was the part about where um, Isaiah is telling the people that their exile is coming to an end and it's time to go home. And over and over and over again, there was this language about going home. And he and I are going, what in the world is that about? Because that really wasn't on our radar screen about going home to America. For our kids, America wasn't really home. But it was, um, but we were really seeking the Lord. Now, at the end of the month, he had to go to a meeting at the regional office over in Switzerland. So he wasn't home. I'm home by myself. But we're still reading every day and in touch with each other. And, you know, what's the Lord saying to us? And um, amazingly, on December 1st at six in the morning, we get a phone call at our home in Moscow. And it's a district superintendent from Northeast Indiana. And he said, you know, we, we're not really supposed to do this. And we don't normally do this. But this church over here would really like to know whether they could interview you to be their pastor. We're going, okay. Uh, <laughs> so Chuck and I talked about that, you know, and I'm not convinced. I'm like, you oh, know, okay. The next morning, no joke, at six in the morning, the phone rings again, and it's another district superintendent calling about another church and saying, would you interview to be their pastor? So at that point, we said, okay, God, two days in a row, this has never happened in 13 years, 12 years, whatever, at this point. Um, all right, we're, we'll listen to what, what you want us to do. We had actually planned to come back home to the States for Christmas because my brother had died and we had wanted to have a, a service for the family. So we were coming over um, and we, we did. We came and we interviewed with the first church. We decided it, it was confusing to us to know one or the other. I'm gonna tell you though, leaving Russia, was the most emotional thing I think I've ever done. While I felt that God called us back, we had given our hearts to the place and what we did. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't move back to the States until May. It was our oldest daughter's senior year of high school. We wanted her to be able to finish her school. She'd gone kindergarten through 12th grade there with these kids. I probably cried every day. I grieved every day leaving Russia for six months. It was that hard. And, uh, you know, we moved to Indiana and people would say, welcome home. Well, I'd never lived in Indiana. And I grew up in Germany. Um, I had now spent 21 years of my life in Europe. It was massive culture shock for me to come to Indiana. So the girls and I really struggled. Chuck, not so much. He had lived in Indiana. For him, it was coming home. But for the three of us, um, it, it was really, really hard, but yeah. God was with us. Yeah. But I'm glad that you shared that because I think that sometimes we confuse grief with God's will and we can get confused and think, well, if I'm grieving this much, I must be doing the wrong thing. But I, I don't think that's true. I, you know, I feel like, you know, maybe we're given a gift when he gives us that time to grieve and, and to process, um, in order for us to fully give ourselves to what it, what it, he, he has for us next. And, you know, that's just part of the process of transitioning from one place to the next. And anyway, I'm, I, I'm just glad that you shared that about the grief. And I can totally see that, um, you know, your whole, you know, all of your memories with your children as young, as young children, 
which are so powerful embedded in, in us for a lifetime, you know, all of them, all of those things take place in that context. Now I know in Russia is you got ordained in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, well, I've heard your story. So you just tell as much as you want or as little as you want. We just talk about wrestling with the call to ministry and, and then surrendering to that call. You know, um, the reality is that from a young age, I always felt called to ministry. And as I was heading in into my teen years, um, you know, I did all kinds of things, even at the church. I, I was elected NYI president, all kinds of things. And I've said this to people. If I would have been one of my brothers, people would have been proactive in encouraging me to go into the ministry and say, you know, do you need a local preacher's license and that kind of stuff. But nobody ever talked to me about that. And literally during that season, there were so few women clergy. I don't remember ever seeing any um, that uh, I thought, well, I guess I need to marry a preacher to be able to be in ministry as a partner together, you know, in ministry. And I'm grateful that the Lord led me to my husband. um, And that's another great story that God brought us together. And I know that uh, he's been an incredible person to be on this journey with. But um, so I went into nursing and that's a whole nother story, but I'm grateful for that. But it was while we were in Russia, you know, and we're both missionaries, we're serving together as missionaries. Uh, I was using my nursing, but we would come home on furlough and um, do deputation services. And, you know, people were asking both of us to come and speak at churches and things. You know, and in the midst of that, I had wanted to go back to school and get a master's degree. And I'd started to do a master's of healthcare administration, kind of like the MBA for healthcare people. And I, I did some work on that. But um, the Lord began speaking to me and he began speaking to my husband. So, you know, a couple of things. One day, um, my husband just said to me, he said, you know, if you would have been a boy, you would have been the preacher in the family. And I literally felt like I heard the voice of the Lord say, so why aren't you? And I remember telling the Lord, because I'm a girl. And the Lord just said, nope, you have to be a preacher. And I also heard the Lord clearly say to me, submit to the system, which was interesting because I kind of had felt like, why would I need to do that? I already, I already, I'm a missionary. I mean, I was already doing all the stuff, right? But the Lord was saying, no, you got to submit to the system. So Also in that conversation with my husband, um, there was a transition on the field. I ended up taking over the program of theological education for the field and running that. And then we were working with Nazarene Theological Seminary on a master's program. Again, this is all this 10-year plan. So the 10-year plan is you have to have faculty that are native Russian speakers that can run your theological education program for you. You cannot be dependent upon missionaries. So we had to have an entire Russian speaking faculty that had master's degrees to be able to run the program. So we work with NTS, develop a program where we come over twice a year with a cohort uh, to be trained uh, and to get a master's degree to be able to teach. So we had seven students that were handpicked to be a part of that. And then um, I told Chuck, I said, I don't want to do that other master's degree. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, I really want to go to seminary. And so I went to school with my whole cohort of my Russian speakers and what an incredible experience. They're some of my best friends to this day. We would come to Kansas City. We all lived together um, at King Conference Center. 
and cook together because we had such a small budget. We all we had to figure out how we were all going to make it and uh, and stuff. We just had a great time together. Um, they would always have me proofing all their papers, so it, it was a lot of work writing my own and proofing everybody else's. But as a community, we got through through this and um, I'm so proud of them. Just such an incredible group of people. You know, one of them is now the head of the program in the former Soviet Union. Uh, I believe they all teach in the program in the former Soviet Union. And one has a PhD and is teaching New Testament at the University at uh, Nazarene Theological College in Manchester, England. Just incredible. I got to go to school with all of them and I was ordained with a whole group of them and our first ordination on the Russian North District. So that was, see, maybe you can understand why I grieved so much. This was my family. This was my home. Um, we had done yeah. life together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you left your second family, but you still have to do the, you still have to do the work. You still have to grieve and, and say goodbye yeah. and let them move on to their, you know, the new phase in life that God has called them to as well. We're getting, now you're familiar. I know I'm sure you are familiar. So this, I guess this is kind of a redundant question, but with the Wesleyan Holiness Women Clergy Conference, um, which is coming up in 2020, 22, 22. Yeah. Make sure I got the right year, um, a year from now. So, and I'm going to take the podcast there. So uh, maybe we're really lucky you won't be out of the country and you'll come visit us, but. Hey, I already, um, I already registered yesterday. Yeah. I'm registering today. I hope there's still hotels left. Now you've been to this conference before, right? Yeah. Right. Will you just talk about your experience of going to this conference? Because I, I want to encourage some of those who are kind of like on the edge of, you know, is this just going to be another conference? Do I really have time for another conference? You know, that kind of those kind of things. So just talk about your experience there and what they would benefit from it. Well, it's interesting you would ask me about it because WHWC has had a big impact, had a big impact really upon me and my, my development as well. In 2004, which is now a long time ago, um, I felt like it was really important to come and to experience WHWC, but I was still a missionary overseas. So I don't know if you know Tanya Cantarella, but she was my pastor in Moscow. Um, she and her husband, they're missionaries now in Belarus, but she and I came to the States just to attend the conference. The com it was called the Come to the Water Conference and it was in Cincinnati. Um, she and I both just kind of knew in, in ministry um, and, and not really having been around a lot of women clergy, but I will never forget walking into the ballroom. It was at a hotel, walking into the ballroom that first night and there were 400 women clergy in this room and I was absolutely blown away I mean I it was like you are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses it transformed me and then that week when we listened to the preachers and every night there was a preacher and they preached and man incredible preachers and I remember one of them was from the Salvation Army and she had been the preacher of the year for the United Kingdom not just Salvation Army for the whole country. And I listened to this woman preach and I went, wow. And, and it just, if I can say this, it, it raised this level of not only are you a woman who's called, why don't you work to give God your very best of what you have? And, and suddenly you see these women as examples 
And, um, and Tanya and I went away just really transformed from that. Now, I will tell you an interesting story. So we moved back to the States in 2005, and I'm pretty disconnected from what else going on in, in America and in the American church. I mean, I, I'm completely absorbed in the Eurasia region and, and everything there. I was on the education council. I was on something called the regional course study committee, all kinds of stuff that I did on Eurasia region. You come back to America, you are, you are nothing, you're ground zero. And, and so you're kind of looking for where in the world do I even belong? I mean, what, what do I do with all this stuff that I've done, but I don't, I don't have a place really because the places are all filled with other people. I remember Vicki Kopp reaching out to me and saying, Carla, I am on the planning committee for, for the conference for Wesleyan Holiness Women Clergy, and I'm going to rotate out and they need somebody else to come in and step in. Um, and you're new back in the States. Would you like to be on the planning committee? Sure. I mean, that would be great to learn about this WHWC. So that was to be, um, I was supposed to go to the 2006, I think, conference. It was six or seven. And meet them and say, okay, I'll be on the committee and I'll help to plan, you know, the next conference. Well, this was in San Diego. And it's just uh, another kind of life-changing moment. Um, we had the conference in San Diego. It was wonderful. And we sat down to, after it was all over, to have our meal with Susie Stanley, who was the head of WHWC, had been the founder, had done all this stuff. And we're with the old group. So I'm sitting with, with Vicki, and then there's this new group of us. Mm. We're sitting there. And um, I'd never even met Susie Stanley before. Incredible woman. But um, there was a lot going on in her life. So she, um, she pulls out a piece of paper at the table, and she reads her resignation to us. And then folds up the paper and says it's yours and walks out of the room. We all looked at each other and went, what do you mean? <laughs> what does this mean? Then we discovered that a court, I mean, down the road, we discovered that according to the bylaws, each one of us that was a representative on this planning committee from each denomination was actually a board member. And so we were now like the owners of this WHWC. I was there to help plan a conference, right? So we hired a consultant that we met with that helped us to reorganize the organization. We all realized we all had to have different roles. Um, we elected someone president, Cheryl Coulter, grateful for her. And um, I knew how to read spreadsheets. So I got to be the treasurer. I mean, that's, you know, like that kind of stuff happens. We did that. And that was a real transformational sort of time in WHWC. Um, the weird part is that within two years, we had to make a little bit of changes with things. And that board elected me the president. So I ended up the president. And then we, we also had a weird, I forget even what happened, where we had to move it by a year. What was the recession? The recession hit. And it wasn't the pandemic, but it was a recession. And so then we had to do something different. So um, I ended up serving over two conferences. So when you ask me, do I know about it? It's like, yeah, know about it, but, um, but absolutely love it. It was so wonderful. The connections with all the women from different denominations and the strength of those relationships, the people that I served on that board with are still my friends to this day. 
Uh, we keep in touch with each other. We visit with one another. Um, and the power of that has been wonderful. And if I could say this, it also helped me to know denominational leaders that even today, now as a general superintendent, the relationships I have with other denominations go back to me being a part of WHWC and um, the strength of those relationships. So it's um, there's so much in that whole thing. Talk about leadership development, you know, you, you learn on the fly. Um, so it's it's much more than just the conference, really. And, and if we can really look at it as, yes, I get a lot from the conference, but boy, it's the relationships beyond that that are really, really powerful. Yeah, the connection that you're going to make. And, and I think the element that it's interdenominational, um, you have all of these Wesleyan holiness denominations represented. Um, they, they did a little live thing on, on Monday night and I was in there and it was just fun to see, you know, free Methodists and uh, Wesleyans and Salvation Army and Nazarenes and, uh, and just to see... Uh, sisters in the Lord and all these denominations who are all uh, laying down inroads for the kingdom. And just to get that bigger perspective. Um, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to go to the last general assembly, which was my first time to go to general assembly and being able to see, you know, Nazarenes, you know, people from my own denomination from across the globe, all gathered together was a peek into the, the, that, resurrection day when we'll all be yeah, together but yeah. um but then to see from all the different denominations come together at a conference like this even more so because sometimes we can just feel like we're so alone um especially as women clergy uh if you're surrounded you know by uh, um, a lot of sister brother and, and sisters from other denominations that don't ordain women <laughs> um you can start to feel alone and so uh having that network um, and realizing we're not alone and we uh, there's strength in the cloud of witnesses right that you talked about yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it so <laughs> i have money earmarked for it i'm going no matter what well you know unless there's another pandemic or something but <laughs> well and i haven't gotten to go for years um because of my work schedule there were conflicts with it and so when i got these dates it's like i am blocking it out Normally in March, um, as a general superintendent, you are overseas somewhere. So you can't, you know, I wouldn't be able to come. But the next two years, my assignment changes and um, what's called in the chair. And so I don't have an overseas assignment. I, I do a lot of this stuff here in the States. Um, and so it was like, okay, I'm going to block those dates before anything else gets on it so that I can be sure that I am there. So I am, and I'm excited about it. Well, that'll be awesome. And please come to the podcast booth and say hi. All right, I'll drop by. I'll drop by. <laughs> we can get a picture. So just uh, words of encouragement. And normally I would say words of encouragement for women clergy. I hope this whole episode is an encouragement. Maybe just words of encouragement for those who are listening that as we begin to move towards our new normal or advice <laughs> or correction. What, we'll t I'll take anything. But <laughs> well, who's got advice? I don't know. We we're all in this together, right? And um, I don't know. I think you you mentioned it well. It's a new normal. It's not. We're not going to go back to what it was like exactly before. And I hope that we've learned some good lessons from this season. I, I feel like I have. Um, you know, these new tools of connecting are amazing. You know, I'm gonna. I'm doing this with you this morning, this afternoon. I'm 
getting to be a part of a class for European Nazarene College at two in the afternoon with students from Europe and Asia that I'll get to be with them. I have been able to have more time with my district superintendents and field strategy coordinators in Mesoamerica region than I would if I would have been there personally. Um, I have two areas of the United States, the, uh, the Mount Vernon and the, um, the ENC area. And I get to spend time with those district superintendents. We used to meet we weekly, now we meet every other week. You know, just to touch base, how are things going? So I hope the new norm doesn't say, let's drop all that because I believe that uh, the pandemic helped us to be really intentional about relationships and the use of technology for those relationships, which has been, I think, super positive. So let's think about that. I think where I am, and maybe some of you are going to be, is I'm picking up going back out live again. <laughs> I really have to be careful about my schedule mm, because okay. my schedule filled up with all the virtual but if I go back to some of the live and I keep all the virtual, I'm going to have a double schedule. Right. And that's going to be a killer. So maybe we're all in this together, Joanne, right now of let's figure out, you know, how much, where's the balance. And I think that's going to be the creative piece for all of us is where's the balance so that we don't burn out. Yeah. I think that's going to be really important. And I think, then evaluating what's important in the in-person things that we do to spend that energy on and what could be done in this way. And I think we're going to end up with some sort of a half and half, you know, like tonight, we're going to have prayer meeting for my husband's church um, and it'll be on zoom. And a lot of them have said, we're not sure we ever want to go back to Wednesday night prayer meeting, not being on zoom for one right. thing, more people attend Wednesday night zoom prayer meeting than used to show up in person. Mm -hmm. you know and they just said it's just convenient and some of it is that some of its older folks they really don't want to go out in the evening so right. they're just saying this works so well for us can we just keep can we keep Wednesday night on zoom and I think they probably will so that's what I would say so I don't know about you personally if you're kind of in that same spot you know it's like how do I find the sweet spot between the digital and the physical and bringing those together and not burning myself out yeah, abs oh, absolutely. Uh, I just feel like, you know, just clearing off of the clutter off of my schedule forced mm -hmm. us to really lean into some significant realms. Um, I mean, I've just been blown away of what we've been able to do as a congregation when we cleared some of the clutter off yeah. and, you know, from starting food pantries and just building more intentional relationships with people in our neighborhood. It's been, it's been really good to have th that time. Um, it, same thing, like you said, with Zoom on some of these elements where we know, okay, people are scrambling to get home from work, eat something, get to another location so that we can all gather together. It's reduced some of that stress and anxiety so that people can just get on and really focus on our, our time together and gathering that way. And I think it's made our when we have been together in person, it's made it more meaningful, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you stop and pay attention a little bit more. Um, you know, I'm less likely, I'm more likely to have my phone in my purse or leave it on my desk. And I'm, you know, just with those people. Yeah. I, I hope that those kind of things stay with us and that we don't 
feel like we need to make up for this last year. And instead we, we realized that this wasn't a loss. This was actually a gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost feel like God gave us the year of Jubilee. Yeah. You know what? If you're not going to stop and slow down, I'm going to help you stop and slow down. And I think you're right. It, it made you look at your calendar and say, what, what do I have that's just filling it up that doesn't need to be and what's really important? And I hope we take that away from this and we don't just fill them all up again. Yeah, me too. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Yeah, I'm really happy to. And I promise I'd keep you in an hour because I know you have responsibilities. So <laughs> I don't want to take you from those, but I do look forward to seeing you at the next conference in March, next March, the conference in March and uh, hopefully general assembly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you for your work and your ministry. Really appreciate it. And that you're hanging in there during these days. And this is fun that you're doing your podcast as well. Yeah. I'm I'm still here. I'm not leaving yet. God hasn't told me to go. So. All right. Hey, can I pray for you today? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for Joanne. I thank you for the love that she has for you, for the way that she's willing to serve you and bring her gifts and her talents before you. Lord, I thank you for this podcast, and I pray that you would bless it and the conversations that she's having with different people, and may this just be an avenue through which people are blessed. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us wisdom as we look at these days ahead and we wonder Okay, what do these look like as we begin to wade back out into the world? And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be trusting in you in the things that we do and that you would be lifted up and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.